0: Sackick fakes it, takes it, scores! Joe What a brilliant goal by Nathan And after
1: 22 years... Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and I'm still stuck with this head cold, sorry. You're locked into the Burgundy Radio Podcast for December 11th, 2017. And coming up on the show, we'll check out which Avalanche prospects are looking at a World Junior spot. I love World Junior, it's fun as hell. And we'll take a peek at the week's lows and highs and injuries, question mark. But before we play the whoosh, your disembodied voices for the week. No Earl for the first time in quite a while, so the snowstorm has ruined his schedule. But we do still have Queen JK. Hey, Jackie. Hello. And the voice of Vlad. What's up, Vlad?
2: Hey, how's it going?
1: And the reviewer himself. What's going on, Rito?
3: Not a whole lot. What's up?
1: So on Tuesday, Avs fall 4-2 to the Buffalo Sabres, with both avalanche goals going the way of Nathan McKinnon. This was a Tim Peel joint, so of course there was an extended goal review with a result that made sense technically, but still felt wrong. I wrote a post at Burgundy Rainbow that night about why we should abolish the offside review, so if you haven't checked that out yet, I'll just say go do so, and if you have, I won't repeat those arguments here, and missed your time. On Thursday, Gabe Landeskog returned from suspension and scored almost immediately against the Tampa Bay Lightning. But Stamkos answered almost also immediately, and things went fairly downhill from there as the Avs lose 5-2, giving up goals both on the power play and shorthanded. And in full disclosure, I paid no attention to this game, so I'll let someone who did talk about it for a second.
3: Yeah, the Tampa's just has to be the cup favorite, right? They just look like a ridiculously good team, and the Avs are just clearly not on that level, and that's all that was.
1: Okay. Finally, on Saturday, Avs win 7-3 over the Florida Panthers, with two of those being empty, netters, empty net goals from Carl Soderberg and Matt Nieto. Florida kind of got goalied in this one, with James Reimer lending in five on 28 shots, which were scored by Eric Johnson and Colin Wilson and Alexander Kerfoot, Mikko Rantanen, and Nathan McKinnon, which, what a goal that was. Farlamov stopped 39 of 42. Johnson took a puck off the ankle late in the third and didn't return to the game but according to BSN's Adrian Dater, he should be okay. So I guess the question for the week is, will that change his playing time at all?
2: I don't see how it doesn't change uh, EJ's playing time, even just a touch, just to err on the side of caution. You can't be playing this guy nearly upwards of 25 minutes a a night if there's any chance that there might be some lingering damage that may not be present at the onset
0: i doubt it i don't see why they're they don't have any worry about playing him that much up till this point i mean what exactly was it a shot that he took so i mean if if something nothing's broken i mean what in their mind what are they saving him for i mean i'd like to see him play less but
3: i don't yeah. see why it
0: would change their mindset right at this point
3: I think that's kind of where we're all at. Like, why are we even playing him 30 minutes a night in the first place? We have guys like Gerard and other young guys who come up and down in the lineup that need to be getting ice time. And while I love EJ, he's just taking ice time away right now for a team that probably isn't even going to make the playoffs. So,
1: Yeah, it's a curious situation. EJ is taking up almost half of the ice time of of every game right now. And the coaching staff insists on playing six other defensemen to to share what's left. So, like, what do we think that they're trying to accomplish with that?
3: I don't understand it. I, I guess the official quote was they wanted to ease Nemeth back in the lineup, but they had no problem playing him 18 minutes last night anyway. So I just don't understand the seventh defenseman in there.
0: I guess Fenner's reasoning is that he's gonna play the ones that are looking the best that night or something like that. Like they haven't been using a real fourth line for weeks, so what's the point of dressing someone like Yakupov is gonna get eight minutes? Isn't gonna do much, so he I guess he figures he could use an extra defenseman more, but it just makes I mean there weren't really set pairs for a while that we've talked about on this show quite a bit, but with Seven Defensemen, it just completely throws the idea of pairs out the window. It just, it's silly. It's, uh, like, I understand flexibility and things like that. Like, we'd complain if they are being way too rigid, but this just seems like way too much in the other direction, where Egypt, there's, like, no chemistry, there's no familiarity. It just... And yeah, what well, what are they getting out of playing e j that much? like if it wears him down by the end of the year, if it makes him more injury prone, I mean, yeah, well, and then you're taking minutes away from some of the younger guys playing e j that much isn't taking minutes away from Nemeth and Barbario. it's taking minutes away from the other guys, so yeah i don't I don't see what really the end game and the goal here is. I guess to squeeze out a few more wins. Like you could tell that they they're getting desperate this week. Like they desperately needed to win that Florida game. And I get that. Like they need to win every once in a while just to kind of keep the you know the the competitive aspect going, I guess. But it's just it, right now the whole organization feels like what exactly are they doing here?
1: That's just a game that, no matter what your situation, you you just can't drop that game. You're playing a, a Florida team that's already not very good in the first place. Their starting goaltender is out with an injury. Their backup is struggling. They're missing Alexander Barkov. I mean, that's a game that you need to win. I don't care yeah. if you're all in the tank for Dolan or not.
3: I, You know, the win is nice. I don't think we needed to win it. I think we needed to score goals, and that's what we did.
1: But. I I just don't understand what's going on with with the seventy. Like, if, what are they even trying to accomplish? Have they, I mean, if they if they said they were trying to ease Nemeth in, that's obviously not what happened. And yeah, it was and, and it's responsible for breakaways against because of positioning and speed. So
3: it's not working either. Like they're running out seven D and they're still having plenty of defensive breakdowns. So it's not like they're running it out there and shutting teams down. It doesn't make sense.
1: I guess the question just becomes then, um, how long this is going to continue because it's, it's preventing the defensemen from getting any kind of familiarity with each other as we, as was, was mentioned. And, uh, it's just limiting the ice time that guys like Sam Gerard can can get to continue, you know, learning and developing and growing. It's the, the same kind of just logjam that saw Chris Bigrand up in the AHL. It's like we have to continue playing these other guys for some reason.
0: It's it's like the whole trickle down effect. It's Nemeth is back, which is what caused all of this because. He's, he created, like, the extra by having him back. So, but then they have to play him, so then it trickles down. So then the younger guys play less. Like you just mentioned, Bigra goes to the AHL. Well, they have to play him there, so the effect of that is Malash doesn't play at all. So because you have too many of these re- kind of replacement-level defensemen, then if, it's like you have to play him which we all would say you don't but this is abs logic you have to play them so yeah. basically this is going to continue until somebody gets hurt or they just decide to scratch Gerard or Zadorov or something stupid like that but this is where we're headed if they're all healthy then they're all going to play and and the young guys don't get developed from top to bottom in the organization
3: it's unfortunate that I agree what's best for the abs and what the abs decide to do is often not the same thing. But realistically, if we're saying that this year is a development year, which we have been all year long, you can't play both Nemeth and Barbario. You just can't. You need to get the young guys
2: in there. Could the situation be one where both of these guys are seeing significant ice time in the hopes that maybe there is a possibility of a trade down the line.
0: I mean, that's a nice idea, but realistically, no.
2: (laughs) I mean,
3: let's be real. Nemeth was claimed off of waivers this season, and Barbario was a waiver claim as well. So maybe I could see you get something for Barbario all the way at the deadline. But even then, I don't think it's gonna be a lot.
0: I mean there there's enough tape out there on them. Like I mean if we if we were looking at it like mid February and you'd say these guys need to get on like on the ice to get seen. Maybe. But we're we're in early December. Like nobody is trading for these guys, and certainly not now. So no, it's it's the veteran crutch is what it is. And maybe because they had dropped a few games in a row that ramps up the desperation level or, you know, maybe if they start winning again, they'll relax a little on it. I think that's maybe what, what more is, but it's like that balance. Like you said, it's a development year, but they can't lose every game because then you're not in a competitive environment. They're not pretending to the fans that they're, they're trying to make the playoffs, blah, blah, blah. And the organization probably believes if the young guys play well enough, they can still make the playoffs. So But where do you draw the line? And that right. that's the problem, is like they have a an issue finding the line.
3: I guess I just don't follow the logic of we play vets to get wins, because we've tested that theory many, many, many times and it does not work. <laughs>
1: Uh, it's kind of a different level of vet between Barbario and Brad Stewart.
3: That's true, but I, yeah, I mean, we're not still talking- don't think he's like a serious impact player most nights.
0: I mean, yeah, we're not talking about Boschman here, but it's still the same mentality. Like, like Nemeth and Barbario are okay to play on occasion, and like Rudo said, play one of them. Like, I understand they're not going to play. E.J. Berry, and four of the young guys. So, okay, play one of them. But now when we're getting into, well, you have to play two, then we're starting to have an issue here.
1: And, I mean, there's another issue right there that you brought up unintentionally, which is that apart from being responsible for Kerfoot's goal against Florida, Tyson Berry has continued to ride the struggle bus.
3: Yeah, I... Is he really 100% or is the whatever was nagging him still nagging him? I can't believe he fell off so hard after that scratch.
0: But isn't it more decision making things with him at this point? Like, I don't know. I mean, there could be something wrong with him, but there could be something wrong with everybody. <laughs>
2: Anybody right. could
0: have a nagging injury yeah. or, or not feeling 100% or, I mean, at some point that's like not an excuse. Yeah, that's fair. When when we
1: had this conversation on the Discord, the way that I ex- kind of explained it was that if he has an injury that affects either his ability to take a hit or his ability to handle the puck, it will lead him to try to get rid of it quicker and maybe as a result of that end up making worse decisions because he's in such a hurry to get rid of the puck, you know, kind of like Barbario is 100% of the time. Um, and that is kind of what we've been seeing with the puck is randomly thrown out into your own high slot. Oops. Or, I mean, this kind of plays like that where you can, where he's making, like he's never been that kind of a decision maker before. So, and and a one way to possibly explain it is that he's trying to get rid of the puck quicker to protect himself.
0: I mean, yeah, I, I could see that, but I guess then they need to step in and, and say, you know this isn't working you you might need a couple days off then yeah and we, we see. thought
1: that all last year when when Landeskog had his nagging injury for the literally entire season and for two years before that with Varley's groin i mean the te- this team just doesn't shut down guys who have a nagging injury even in lost seasons they just won't do it
0: i mean i i i understand that if he can play he can play but like last night he had Throwing the puck over the glass, the four-minute high sticking—he changed inexplicably ah. and led to a goal. Like I, fr- someone said it. I forget who said it, but if like Gerard or Zadorov did the- all those things in one game, benched, they wouldn't. <laughs> they wouldn't see the rest of the week. You know, it's it's right. like,
1: and and maybe you haven't seen that play yet, but the four-minute high sticking doesn't belong on that list. He uh, no, he, he he made a pass and his. Like, it was kind of a backhand, behind the back spinner, and a pass. It was pretty sweet little play. And his heel catches a rut. He loses his balance. His stick comes up and catches a guy in the face.
3: It wasn't oh, even a okay. rut. It was the Florida player's stick that oh, was his it? heel caught, yeah.
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it wasn't complete. All right, then it.
3: But throwing it think... over the glass totally was. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know. Is it a little bit of Duchenne's syndrome here? Is he a player that gets stuck in a rut and struggles to get out of it?
1: Can we answer that question? I don't know.
3: Yeah, I'm not sure.
0: <laughs> and I'm not really saying he should he should be scratched or anything like that. That might be a little extreme, but you know, like some games, maybe they don't need to wear him out. Like the Tampa game, they didn't play him that much. So I, I don't really know what the answer is here, but it's it's unfortunate that the that the defensemen aren't all, I guess, you know, some guys get free passes. Like you guys said, Nemeth didn't have a good game last game, but that doesn't seem to matter.
3: Yeah, that's being generous. Nemeth looked pretty bad.
1: <laughs> he, he didn't look ready to be back. Um, but anyway, it's uh, it's always going to make every every bit of the defenseman's warts stand out when their mistakes end up in the back of the net, and uh, Colorado's goaltending has not been where we need it to be either. Um, just just this month, we have seen one game where they gave up fewer than three goals, which Colorado only could manage one, and they lost it anyway and in November, they shut out Dallas, they held Minnesota to two goals before the shootout, and Washington to two goals. Every other game, they gave up three. Oh, Winnipeg to two goals. Every other game, they gave up three or more.
0: You know, this is weird for me because I feel like it's the goaltending is kind of average. Like, I'm just talking about how the games have gone like it's not like they've given up a softy like five minutes into the game like goalies did last year or gave up a softy like five minutes to go you know what i mean like it doesn't feel like goaltending has been like the the number one uh, game changer in all these games but then you mentioned that you know on average they're giving up more than they should so it's kind of tough like they could be doing better but then we don't want wins just because goalies are standing on their heads either so i don't well, know for me it's an it is definitely something to monitor but i don't know if it's changing the outcome of these games
1: okay that's fair um but i do think it's something that is worth um keeping an eye on for future decision making like bernier is on a one year contract and right now he is like has has the third worst goal saved above average stat right now, which is kind of a, a measure of how his save percentage has been against shots of certain danger. So he's it, it's not that he's necessarily facing like harder shots than other goalies because of how bad the Avalanche are defensively. It's because he's just doing worse against those shots than the uh, averages would predict he should be.
0: I kinda I know some people will disagree with this, but I would like to see how Hammond would do at some point. I'm not saying right now, but if we're gonna have this like decision, like do what do we wanna do with Bernier, I think maybe we need to see what what they have in Hammond because if he could be the backup next year. Now I know I know there's some people that don't like him, don't think he's very good, but he did have the surgery and he's putting up good numbers in the AHL. It just seems like you have him, so why not? You're going to have to give him a look at some point.
3: Uh, do you, though? He's basically just a third-round pick that you don't have to pay after this season is over.
0: Well, I mean, if he could be the backup, like, do you guys... I, I mean, are they really going to pay Bernier?
3: The backup this doesn't really matter to me. If you want a backup that gives up some softies sometimes, they, they're they on the carousel every off season. Everybody thinks, oh, this one will be our backup, and he'll figure it out this year. So I, that's not a big concern for me.
0: I still would like to see what he could do, especially if we're talking about Bernier not really offering much for the money.
1: He's getting paid way more than he's earning right now.
0: Oh, yeah. I don't think there's any
3: doubt about that on Bernier, but uh, someone did recommend we ride Varley a couple weeks ago, just saying. Uh, (laughs) But Varley really hasn't been that amazing either, and I don't think it's his positioning play. I think on that front, he's been pretty strong, but... We talked about this a little bit, Steph. Uh, his rebound control this year is a lot weaker than what we're used to seeing.
1: Right, and to to some degree, re- rebound control is definitely a, a goaltending kind of art. Like you, you see a lot of the Finnish goaltenders that are able to send rebounds to safer positions, um, but and but it also requires your defenders to help you clear those rebounds too. So.
0: Yeah, I think Farley has been better in the past at gobbling them up. So I, I definitely agree that that's, that's maybe a little area of concern there.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a little column A, little column B kind of situation.
3: Yeah, and, and I agree with that. Our defense has not been strong net front defensively.
1: Yeah, but it's, I I definitely agree with you guys that it's not the number one problem with the Colorado Avalanche um, But it's it's just a conversation that no one is having. And and when your goals against line since November reads like this, 3, 4, 6, 4, 4, 2, 5, 3, 0. There's Bernier's shutout. 3 when a shootout, 3, 2. And then you get to December and you get two, seven, four, five, three. 7, 4, 5, 3. Like, those numbers are too big.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean... Like Ruto said, the the backup isn't really it's never really gonna be your big issue. So what we're getting at is the real elephant in the room is what do they do when Varley's contract's up after next year?
1: Thank him for the service and wave.
0: I personally I personally think they're gonna keep him because what else are they gonna do?
3: Take on Carrie Price's ridiculous contract. <laughs>
0: Right, they're either gonna have to use assets to trade for someone like that, or sign a free agent goalie that's probably not gonna be any better than Varley. They're certainly not gonna have anybody developed to take that role. So
1: Development is the problem here, right? Like what what's the ideal right now? Like next season Spencer Martin's ready to be the backup?
2: There's just no way. I mean like not a chance. Yeah, he's third stringer.
3: Maybe he gets a call up next season.
0: So
1: Colorado's gold Colorado Colorado are looking to be in the playoffs in the next year to two and in contention in the next three. Goaltending is not where it needs to be for that to happen. It's a problem.
0: And I'm yeah, I'm not sure if that's that timeline's going to come come up like that. I think they need they're going to need more time before they are legitimate playoff and legitimate contender, but but it just it seems like they have no plan other than varley. Like if there was a plan, they're certainly not moving towards it. And I certainly hope it's not another varley type trade where they take first round second round pick or some really good assets to bring in a young a younger goalie and do it all over again.
1: Yeah, it's it's just tricky. It's it's not easy to predict what a goalie is going to do, so it makes it really hard to bring in a free agent or trade for a guy um and then obviously the Avalanche goalie development has produced Calvin Pickard and question mark
3: the end. Yeah.
0: Maybe they just bring Pickard back.
1: There you go. And I mean,
0: just say say it was a one year happy. sabbatical.
1: Yeah, make a lot of fans real happy. That dude has a lot of of fans in Colorado just because he's such a good dude. So
3: I don't think he's the solution either, though. I mean, sure, he can be a fine backup, maybe a low tier starter if he hits his potential. But
1: I don't think he's a low tier starter. I, I don't think he's a starter at all.
3: He's not right now. I don't certainly not.
1: But we'll, it, we'll have to see what, what the Avalanche do to address goaltending in the offseason, because they will be short an in, in NHL goaltender. Um, whether they go out and get another one-year show-me-backup kind of deal, or if they decide to try to ride a younger player, we'll see what happens.
2: Or they extend Hammond for three years without him playing a game. Oh, That's Roto-Bear always special.
1: possible.
2: That's always possible, too.
1: So let's, let's get to Stars and Scratches. Who do we have at the top of our star list this week? And is it obvious?
0: McKinnon. Yes. McKinnon.
3: So
1: yes, it's obvious. <laughs> Nathan McKinnon has continued his unholy tear this season. I'm going to see what his points look like real quick as soon as it loads. Here we go. In 28 games, he got 11 goals and 22 assists for 33 points in 28 games. Um... Scoring is up across the league right now, so it's not like he's like at the top, top, top of the NHL, but he's definitely in the top several, like, like top 10 or 15 or something. But when you're competing against Stamkos and Kucherov, you're never going to be the number one. <laughs> Those guys are crazy good. What other stars do we want to throw on the pile today?
0: Yep. Carl soderberg
1: okay explain
0: hmm. I just think if you're looking for consistency i think I think he's it may it it's probably more of like an overall star than this week, even though um I know he he could produced yesterday um I just think. You know, they found a role for him and I think he's he's um he's made it he's he's earned it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. They they kind of put a little bit more faith back into him and he he's earned his place back on the team, you know, he solidified that line with Como and Yeto and and he's playing important minutes and I think he is making a positive impact on the team.
1: Do we have one more name to put on the list?
3: I think you can pretty easily put Landis Gog on there. He comes back into the lineup and has an immediate positive impact on the team. Not only scoring a goal right away and then adding assists in the following game, but playing that physical style that we know him for Unfortunately he does cross the line sometimes, but he has to walk that line to be the best player he can be.
0: Yeah, I'll agree with
1: that. And uh that also puts a target on his back from other teams to do things like ram his neck into the boards with no penalty.
3: Nah, there was there was a couple silly ones where the abs took a shot to the head in that Florida game that just went unnoticed. <laughs>
1: That, that one was egregious, though. The official was standing right next to him watching the play, like, what are you doing? What are you doing? So, um, maybe a little bit easier given the Avalanche results lately, not, uh, Florida notwithstanding. Who do we have on the scratch list? Nope.
3: I think Yakupov was a fair scratch. He's gone six games without scoring a point, and if Yak isn't scoring, then he's not doing anything.
1: That's reasonably fair. He's now sitting on ten points at this point in the season after having six in like two weeks. He's he's not quite Joe Coleboarding, but it's that that same kind of trend.
0: I I'd give an overall scratch to the defense situation. I know we always pick on Barbario. It's probably been a little bit better this week, but Nemeth is kind of kind of taken his place. Um, we already talked about Barry. You know, he's had his struggles. Um, so I, I would kind of split it around to all the guys that have struggled. Like Lindholm, I, I don't think he's earned a place in the lineup every, every night. Um, he had some pretty ugly moments. I think it was the Tampa game. He just, he could not control the puck and and completely lost possession for the team. So, I'll split mine kind of around all the depth guys.
1: My favorite Lindholm moment this week was when uh Florida entered the zone. I think it was a 2 on 2 and uh Lindholm was covering the puck and Barbario was covering Lindholm's right skate. If you noticed that play like I did, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They were almost in like they were almost standing on top of each other. They may as well have been one guy.
0: Classic. Yeah, that does sound great.
1: Um, but as we alluded to earlier, I think that I still have to look at um, tossing a minor scratch in the direction of Tyson Barry. Like, he, just, he needs less playing time or he needs some time off.
0: He needs to simplify his game a bit. Yeah,
3: I think that's fair. <laughs> I think along with what TV said, the defensive usage against Tampa. You had Zdorov playing less than 11 minutes against Florida. You have Gerard playing less than 10 minutes. That doesn't make any sense. Why are you even having these guys in the lineup as young guys to not really play?
0: But then I almost don't want to, f- I don't want either one of those to scratch. That's,
3: no, well, we want them to play 18 yeah. minutes a night is what we yeah. want. We yeah, we say
0: stop doing this seven defenseman thing and then they say, okay. Yeah,
1: they're they're turning by not playing those guys you turn a developmental year into a quote unquote developmental year.
3: The ads yeah, are so good is, at doing that though. Yeah,
0: that's like that's all they know how to do is say that they're going to commit to this but When it really comes down to it, not quite. Coaches
1: are going to try to win games, that's what they do. And they're going to do that by playing the players that they trust, which is not the new players. So you have to take the keys out of their hand sometimes and not build a team with all these not very good players who are at least established in the league. Yep. That's what it comes down to for me.
3: I mean, that kind of leads us to the conversation of the WJC, doesn't it?
1: (laughs) It does, I guess. I didn't mean for it to do that, but I'll take the segue. Um, Kale McCarr and Connor Timmons have both been named to Canada's World Junior Championship Selection Camp. Um, There's some conflicting data out there on whether Tyson Jost is going to also join that list. I didn't actually write anything about this. I just wrote, what about Jost? So maybe some of you who will follow this a little more closely than me can jump in.
0: Well, usually players don't get released from the NHL because if someone's good enough to, to hold an NHL roster spot, then they usually don't get a little vacation to play in a junior tournament. So usually the assumption is if, if somebody's playing every night or close to every night in the NHL, like it's, it's a real long shot. So, so that, that kind of brings to Jost and Gerard. That um, you know, even when the Team Canada World Junior Camp roster came out, you know it was mentioned that those two essentially were invited but aren't on the list because they're just not expected to to be available, which is pretty typical. So, so you know, we have Makar and Timmins on the list, which is great, and both have a good shot to make the team, but. Then getting back to Jost, then Dater tweets, it's highly likely he'll be um, made available for the World Juniors, which is a huge piece of news if if that's true, because um, like I said, NHL players just don't get released for for these things. So um, then Chambers talked to Bednar and Sackic and Jost and Gerard, and it all sounded like no. You know, we're focused on the NHL. Bednar said we need both these guys. Sackick's quote was, it's unlikely. Then Dater writes in his um, game summary from yesterday, well, maybe I made it sound a little bit more firm than it was. My source might be having a little bit more wishful thinking than I had indicated. So... (laughs) um okay but then there was another tweet as someone from tsn that said it was likely that jost would be made available which is he just going off of what dater said or is there the same source different source so who knows so where we stand right now is a whole lot of who knows but if i had to say i would just say that dater was assuming a bit more than he should have because yeah, because it's, it's very unlikely that NHL players get released.
1: I mean, you, you say NHL players don't get released. I would modify that slightly to say that NHL Impact players don't get released. Um, players who are more marginal or players who are on bad teams go to World Junior pretty much every year. And uh, Tyson Jost's two goal, or two points in 12 games is fairly marginal.
0: I think the last person that was released was Curtis Lazar. Like, players don't get released directly from the NHL. Like, if if, if Jost was in the AHL right now, that would be a completely different story. But, released directly from the NHL, I can't think of anyone other than Lazar who had been. Well,
1: this seem, maybe it just seems like it happens more often. Or maybe it's because... <clears throat> Maybe it's because the guys who would be on that list are more likely to not still be with their NHL team at that point They're still like more likely to be back in either whether it's Canadian major junior or in the A.
0: Right, like guys that had played in the NHL but had been reassigned elsewhere definitely. That's that can be more likely.
1: Okay. So what would what would you do with with Jost? I don't I don't think any of us would send Gerard. I think he needs in no. NHL, NHL time. No. Jost is more of a question mark. Cuz I would personally send Jost. I want to I want to see if you guys would too.
0: I'm really on the fence with Jost. I see I see both sides of it. I I could have seen him stay in the HL when he was there, but I mean, it's not like he's getting scratched. He's still getting played 13, 14 or more minutes. Like, he was on number one power play last game. You know, so they are using him. It's not like he's just kind of decoration there, but...
3: Yeah, you'd have to be in the room to really know. You know, if Jost is in there and he's lost all of his confidence, maybe sending him to the WJC would be exactly what he needs. But if he's got his mind right, I think it's perfectly okay to keep him in the NHL. It'll come for him eventually. He just needs to keep plugging away at that level. Because
1: For me, if, especially at the AHL level, but also at the NHL level, he's still developing like defensive parts of his game. So I think, here, take two or three weeks, go play with Hockey Canada, and just score a whole lot of goals may do uh, a, a world of good for him.
0: But it's also a very tough tournament, you know. Like it, it's not like when guys go down a level and it's just like, you know, a scoring bonanza. Like, say he goes down there and, or goes to it and doesn't score a ton. Not gonna say that he wouldn't do well, but like, what I like is that he would be the number one center. He'd probably be the captain. Like, I think that's good experience, but like. I'm not necessarily sure he's going to score a ton, so I don't know about the whole, like, confidence and getting him going and this and that and what he's doing in the NHL is learning NHL speed and defense. And so, in a way, it could be counterproductive. It's just, like I said, I see it both ways. Like, if, if he went, I wouldn't be disappointed, but... You know, there's, like I said earlier, there's a reason why guys don't go directly from the NHL either.
2: I personally don't see him going. I think Benner would prefer to keep him in rotation and essentially just have him learn on the fly like he's been doing, even with the lack of results that he's had thus far.
1: I don't think that any any coach would release their their players to World Junior. This is more of a I think this is more of a Sackett kind of decision, don't you?
0: Yeah, definitely. But I guess then it goes back to the question of why were then why were they so insistent that he was in the AHL for his conditioning for for five games? I mean, it was that was decided before he even went down there. How long he would be there? Like right, there there right. was no coincidence on when he came back. So if if organizationally they looked at that he isn't quite there, which I agree. I don't think he's quite all there ready either, but is it detrimental that he's playing through it in the the NHL? And I don't, I don't think yes is the answer to that either. So it was like, if they weren't sure about, is he ready or not? Then why? Why do they stick to the plans so diligently with the A with respect to the AHL?
3: Well, let's put it this way: if they don't release him, they need to stay the course on playing him significant minutes and giving him power play opportunities and things like that. You can't go full Edmonton and not release him and then bench him.
0: Oh, uh, well, yeah, absolutely. I hundred percent agree with that. Absolutely. Never go
1: full Edmonton.
0: Same with same with Gerard. I agree. Same with Gerard too. And th- this is the time that they need to sit down and figure out what they're doing with these guys.
1: Yep. Remember when Edmonton kept Silo for like half the season and then sent him back to the to Major Junior and acted like that was the plan the whole time?
0: Yeah, that was terrible. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. So this has been not an extremely fun week. Um, Maybe it has been, if you like watching the Tampa Bay Lightning, I can understand why you would want to. And when playoffs come around, they'll probably be my bandwagon team, Um, unless they, uh, depending on who they get matched up against. But um, it's just been kind of a a dreadful sort of week in, in Avalanche Land, apart from beating a team pretty badly that you should beat pretty badly, so... The loss to Buffalo stung.
0: Definitely. uh, And I was there, too. like That that was not fun. I, I agree. It was not fun. And then everyone pretty much figured they'd lose to Tampa, but it's not fun actually having to go through it. And then, yeah, the goals were nice last night. It was nice they finally won, but it's not like they've solved any of their immediate issues.
1: No, they're, by they're, winning. I mean, let's look at what those goals were. I mean, you got Nathan McKinnon making a hell of a play. You've got Eric Johnson hitting two shins, and it goes directly five-hole on a puck that probably still should have been stopped. You've got Tyson Berry off of Alex Kerfoot's hand? stick shaft something? Um, you've got a, a good play between Comfer and Wilson on a rush. And then what am I missing? Rantinens, yeah. That, was like the only process goal of the seven,
0: and they were due. They were due for even strength goals. I think that that's a positive. They were, well, I think all of them were even strength. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they were. So, you know, we've been talking. I think they had two even strength goals on the home stand, which is pretty appalling over five games. So, it's kind of like this was the market correction on that, but.
3: I mean, I thought the process was better there against Florida. They did a lot better job getting to the front of the net and at least giving themselves opportunities. But yeah, the Barry goal especially, I mean, I guess that shot goes in every once in a while, but you can't expect that on a consistent basis.
0: So in, in beating terrible teams, like, they should, you know, they should have beaten Buffalo and they didn't. So, I mean, it's it's always an accomplishment to win in the NHL, but... But yeah, I mean, they're still looking at a a tough week ahead, and and a lot of questions that aren't answered. I mean,
3: it's it's so hard with this team because they swing up and down, and we kind of expected that. And you know, if we take one of these two games off the back-to-back coming up here, I think people will feel a lot better.
0: Definitely, because it would it would be a game that they're not expected to win, which. I think does kind of make a big difference, like the like the Winnipeg game, maybe people didn't really expect them to win, and then when they won that, and it's also like this time of the year was the time of the year last year when they gave up, and even though people know this is a really tough road trip and, and a tough stretch in the schedule, like nobody wants to see the you know losses pile up in a row, especially this time of year.
1: Yeah, I think there may have been some some triggering going on last night when Colorado get off to a decent start, not amazing, but decent, and they start to struggle. They get into December, and now Eric Johnson's laying on the ice. I think there were some fans going, I've seen this episode before.
0: (laughs) Or Landscog, you know, getting hit like that yesterday. It's just like, well, now we really see how much we need him, and it's like exactly what we need, right?
1: Yeah. So... Um, We are trying to end this episode pretty short today, both for the sake of my sinuses and for um, the Rampage game, which is the puck should be dropping in about 10 to 12 minutes, I think. So uh, before we get out of here, I just want to mention, since I haven't on here yet, that we need to get comfortable with the idea of not getting Ottawa's first round pick until next year. Um, If you haven't been paying attention, they're currently seventh in a bad Atlantic division, the only teams with worst goal differentials are Buffalo and Arizona. They've got three points in their last 10 games. Um, not that anything has specifically happened in, in, 10 games ago. And they currently occupy most of the seats on the struggle bus. That first-round pick is top 10 protected. So it may not be Colorado's until 2019. Oh, well. Yeah,
0: it's, it's certainly an option at this point. That's for sure that it's not going to happen. I guess the only solace I have is that they'd only have to climb up to 11th. Like they don't have to get into the playoffs or anything like getting in, getting around 10th or 11th. Isn't, you know, a a much of an accomplishment. Like they're not going to play this bad. Like they might not be good, but they're not going to play at this pace forever. So, and, and they're in a terrible division and, I could see it go either way, but I completely with the point of not only should we maybe start thinking that a pick's going to come next year, but then come to the realization that we're only going to have one extra pick in this draft. And it'll probably be a pretty um, low second round because of Nashville. So that's not quite the asset and pick windfall that maybe the perception out there is.
1: That'll help when Blake Como gets traded at the deadline.
3: We can only hope.
1: So, Colorado have won one game in the month of December, and it ain't about to get easier this week. On Monday, they're in Pittsburgh taking on the Penguins, 5 o'clock mountain, and then on Tuesday, they're in D.C. for a back to back against the Washington Capitals, which is also a 5 mountain. Uh, Colorado are back home for three games after that against some strangely familiar faces. Florida again on Thursday, 7 Mountain, and Tampa again on Saturday, also 7 Mountain. The homestand wraps up Friday against the Penguins again. Like, leave us alone. It's a busy week, with four games on the ticket. What have you
0: got?
3: Ooh, this is a tough week.
0: (laughs) I'll go one win. It'll be against Tampa.
1: (laughs) You've gone for the chaos special. I like it.
0: Because playing teams, my theory always is playing teams you know, back-to-back, not literally back-to-back, but within a short time span, the opposite result tends to happen. So I expect to lose that Florida game, but then they have a better chance of beating Tampa.
1: And the, the Avalanche have had much better results at home than on the road. Home, home ice advantage is real, and it's been very real for them.
3: As optimistic as I can be is four points on the week. I think we'll complete the season sweep of both capitals in Florida and then we'll get our butts handed to us by Pittsburgh and Tampa again.
1: I think that's the most likely outcome as well.
2: I'm so going to go with have... five, points. five points. I think they get it. I think they get Washington. Uh, they're going to lose to Pittsburgh. I see a loss in uh, overtime to Tampa and a a regulation win against Florida.
1: A very specific prediction from the voice of Vlad.
0: On the back-to-back, I hope that they can split that. I think that would be big for them because then they would split the road trip. But I'm going the opposite. I think they're not going to beat the Caps again because they just played them and beat them pretty handily. So that's not going to happen again. But if they're ever going to eke out a win... And it'll be against Pittsburgh.
1: Yeah. Uh, Washington played like absolute ass against Colorado earlier this season, but they've been winning lately. They've won eight of their last 10. Um, so I don't know what's what's necessarily different for them. I don't know if, if they're pulling a Vegas special and winning a bunch of one goal games or, or what's going on with them. But they, they did not look like a very good hockey team the last time we saw them. But they, I think
0: Ovechkin got his shit together.
1: Is that what it is? I just know that they've they've had their results in the last couple of weeks to show. Maybe they're not quite as bad as we thought they
3: were. I mean, Ovechkin kind of scored like three hat tricks so far this season. Is that what it is? So it comes in bunches for him. Mm.
0: Yeah. Well, he was incredibly hot to start, and then he was. I remember that. And then when they came to town, he I think he was in a, a cold streak, and I know he didn't do anything in that game. And then I think since I mean without having it in front of me I I'm pretty sure he scored since he's scored several since then so I think him getting hot again obviously helps and then probably got the rest of the team going
1: Lord help me I'm going to nhl.com to look for stats <laughs> game by game from... When does, when was the game against Washington?
0: That was... The 16th, the 16th. November 16th.
1: How do you just
0: know that? Well, I was at that game, so it was a little easier to remember.
2: I was not at that game. That was the start of my uh, OHL roadshow.
0: So, Would so you that's... like to tell us about your road trip a little bit?
3: Yeah, that'd be cool to hear about.
2: <laughs> uh yeah uh i'm trying to get the uh the, the articles written up for uh for consumption on uh burgundy rainbow i i have my first piece out uh chronically my not so direct adventure to sarnia it doesn't exist in terms of a direct route unless you like chatting with border agents <laughs> <laughs> but sarnia is a sarnia is a fantastic building to be in it was my first ohl experience when i first uh uh, went out uh, over a year ago to check it out. Um, it, w- it was great to see some uh, some of the kids out there that may be the stars of tomorrow, some of which, of course, have already been drafted, like Logan Brown uh, and Jordan Cairo. Um, guys who I specifically mentioned in, in my article, like, hey, cool, I have names I can reference. Um, I... Felt like a true Canadian and had a lot of Tim Hortons and uh, a lot of uh, a lot of putin, which is fantastic. Uh, it was a busy it was a busy weekend, three game uh, four games in three days. Uh, Sarnia the first night Flint the next night, Windsor the, the second day and then immediately at, uh, Little Caesars for the Avs Wings game. I, I if I OD'd on hockey, it was that weekend. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a blast. It it really was a lot of fun. Uh, each building, of course, uh had had its own unique flavor. I had the chance to talk to uh I I sat with a prospect family uh for the Flint game and got to talk a little bit with uh the uh one of the players' relatives and kind of explain who I was in this and the situation I had found myself in with uh going all these games. And and they of course they were adorably Canadian. Saying, yeah, uh, number 22, he uh, came from and he's going to do great things. Like, okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> and I'm certainly failing because I don't remember who number 22 is right now. I'll have to check
1: my notes. <laughs> that's that's probably fine. We don't need to know who it was specifically.
0: What
2: team was, was he on? He, he played for Erie. Oh,
0: okay. I'll look that up later.
2: Yeah. It, 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 I just really hope that Flint hangs on. Uh, They're not. They they haven't been doing too well. Of course, they had the big controversy uh, two seasons ago with uh, the owner and firing everybody and the team walking out. Uh, it would be nice to see. Uh, it would be nice to see them uh, still do their thing. Of course, uh, the the big matchup between Windsor and London. Uh, I was expecting it to be better than it turned out. London won on a landslide. Got some uh, good looks at uh, Evan Bouchard. Of course, Logan Brown was uh, playing a steady game. It, it's just being in a Canadian arena, uh, a Canadian junior arena. It's it's really is something that you have to be there. That's the way I kind of describe it in the in the first article.
0: I definitely it's, would like to someday. That's for sure. Sure,
2: it's it's a lot of fun.
1: Let's have a burgundy rainbow road trip.
0: I'm all
2: for that. I would have to do it again.
1: Actually, can we make it an air trip? I hate being in the car for a long time.
0: That works too.
1: Okay, so uh, while you were telling about your cool little trip there, um, I've got NHL.com to cooperate. Um, no one has more points than Nathan McKinnon since that game against the Capitals. He has 18 points in 12 games. Um, six goals and 12 assists. Alex Ovechkin is ninth, um, with 8 6 14. He's actually tied for fifth with eight goals since November 16th. So he must have gotten his ducks in a line if, if that's, uh, what their big problem was because he's still in the top 10 in scoring despite doing absolutely nothing against Colorado. Um, I was interested to see that Stamkos and Kutcher offered down to only a point a game in that time span. I didn't expect them to be such bums.
0: Yeah, what a bunch of plugs, right? <laughs> just in time for McKinnon to catch up.
1: Just in time for that. Alright, um, so, yeah, it's it's been a rough week for, for the Avs, and the next week could be just as rough. Um, at least there there won't be any soul-crushing losses to the Buffalo Sabres, because while Florida aren't good, they're not as bad as Buffalo, who are real bad, and Colorado looks just as bad in that game yes they did so um thanks to uh to my voices as usual for stopping by and thanks to you for listening Uh, next week you can catch us in all the normal places that you catch us for all the latest news and updates at soundcloud.com slash burgundy radio at mixcloud.com slash burgundy radio on itunes in whatever rss podcast catcher on your phone you think is the best there's so many of them um and they all do basically the same thing. Randy. Um, you can <laughs> always leave comments on the show at BurgundyRainbow.com or come yell at me on Twitter at StuffHouse11 or at BurgundyRadio or on the Burgundy rainbow Discord. And we will be back next week at another normal time. Yes, we can record on Sunday again next week. We will see you next week. We got in right around the beginning of
3: your rampage game? We've already missed the first goal.
0: What? Are you <laughs> kidding?
3: That Rain scored the first minute of the game.
0: Well, we wouldn't want the kids to fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I guess better start watching that shit.
3: Why? To watch only Mantel? <laughs> I guess Tony not. Greer doesn't even count. He should be in the NHL already. Oh, well, he
1: should. Oh, is he back now?
3: Yeah. yeah.
1: We should have mentioned he's not broken anymore. True. So that was our big thing last week. Like, oh, Rocco. Well, Greer's broken, and they said they wanted a spark, so what do you expect?
0: Yeah, he looked good, so he should, should be available now. Should they want to throw another kid under the fire? Yeah, right.
3: Why could they call up Greer? They have to
0: play 11 forwards.